Hey, welcome to the Her Paper Root Podcast. This is episode 24. I'm your host, Chelsea Clark. On this show, we discuss the many waves that you ride as an entrepreneur. And today, I want to discuss something very important. It's how you, me, everyone as a global community can speak up about racism and show your support and your company's support for Black people, Black businesses, and Black creators. Talking about racism may make you feel uncomfortable, but it is in these healing conversations that real change and progress will take form. Today, I am honored to have Dawn Walton of Particular and Powerful Consulting here with me. Dawn is an educator and coach offering training, workshops, and classes for individuals and business owners to open the lines of communication about social justice, racism, and equality in our workplaces, schools, communities, and homes. Dawn encourages healing conversations around racism and demonstrates how we can all create a plan of action to do better, speak up, and become true anti-racists. Dawn's work in helping people make public and private choices rooted in intelligence and sound judgment has never been more relevant. Welcome to the show, Dawn. Thank you, Chelsea, for having me. Oh my gosh, how are you? (laughs) Fantastic. Really good. Yesterday, I'm still flying high off of our community gathering yesterday around Juneteenth. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So a couple of weeks ago, I made a post to my local neighborhood uh, next door um, platform just about um, being a Black woman in a very white neighborhood um, with very friendly neighbors, usually very kind and very forthcoming. And it felt to me like people were not the same. They were not themselves. They were averting their eyes. And I know that part of what's in all of our consciousness right now as a nation is what's been going on with the mistreatment of um, the African-Americans over the past, let's say, two to three months. There have been some really stark cases that have gotten uh, lots of attention. And Mm. I... I know what happens when we go inside and we start feeling ashamed and we start feeling guilty and then we start alienating each other. Um, It's well-meaning, but it's not good for the health of the community. So I posted that essentially it's okay to say hi. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And and I wanted people to know um, that as an educator, I do not at all feel burdened when people ask questions about this. That is not true for all African-American people, but it is true for me. And I wanted to make sure that my neighbors knew that. And they replied saying, can we talk more? So I set up a Zoom gathering and I thought, you know, 10 or 20 really interested folks would would join and that would be it. And then 200 people responded with their interest. It's amazing. They've made it known that they want it to be an ongoing thing. So the second session was then yesterday for Juneteenth. And it was amazing. That's fantastic. Could you add me to your email list? I would love to know when you are hosting another one. Definitely will. Thank you. So how did you get started in this line of work? So I've been teaching history for 24 years, even in my roles as dean of high school instruction and curriculum and principal of a high school. I've always taught history. And I think that providing a historical context, no matter what it is that we're doing, um, helps us to make um, really good judgments 
um, from, a, from a place of deep-rooted understanding of the impact of our judgment. And so I've always had a side consulting business. I've always kind of, you know, I have my full-time job. And then people would say, well, can you come and do a workshop about equity? Can you do a workshop on diversity? Can you do a workshop on race? And mine were a little different. I'm not very formulaic. I look at the health of the organization. Um, I try to be as specific to their needs as possible. And, but I always rooted in, in history. And so this past March, April, I had been the principal of a school. Coronavirus hits. Mm-hmm. It, it was a founding charter school. Um, really difficult to do virtual recruiting. And it had been a wonderful first year, but due to budget cuts, my position was eliminated. And then people said, why don't you do particular and powerful full time? it propelled you to go full on in with your entrepreneurship. It did. And what a time for it all to be happening too. For sure. The services that you offer is exactly what we all need. And especially right now, and actually you and I connected recently via my newsletter. Um, I had sent out an email after George Floyd was murdered, expressing my anger at another lost black life. And I expressed that I really... I didn't know the words, but I had to speak up on the platform that I have and to try to bring attention about racism and the organizations that are fighting it, such as Black Lives Matter. And you replied with such a heartfelt message. And as we were talking, I discovered that not only is your work in dismantling racism, but you were a high school principal, which is also amazing. Like that is a job and a half I can only imagine. And now that you're coaching and helping business owners learn how to have these open and vulnerable conversations, and like I said, your services are exactly what we need. So can you share a little bit about the services that you do offer and who it is that you help? Absolutely. So I started Particular and Powerful Consulting to address the strategic needs of individuals through coaching groups. Uh, communities, schools, churches, agencies, organizations, and corporations of all kind who are seeking to promote equity and justice through their work, whatever that work may be. And I offer Mm -hmm. not only teaching and training, but action planning, um, informed communication, meeting facilitation, um, toolkit development, framework design, and of course, in the school sphere, professional or staff development. And all of those pieces are centered around DEI work or equity work, social justice themes, uh, historical context, health and wellness, and anti-racism, of course. Yes. And why do you think that it is so difficult to talk about race? Um, We have been taught not to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. It is safer. It, It in in one way it appears to be safer. It actually isn't. Um, um, we have been taught to hide our grief and to bury our shame and we bury grief and shame behind the myth that all is well truly Uh, that when there is a misstep such as what happened with George Floyd we categorize it as just that a misstep Mm. an isolated incident we attribute it to an individual's wrongheadedness And we don't tend to want to face the truth about systemic oppression, 
um, that racism is rooted in who we are. It's like being a fish swimming in water and not realizing that you're wet. Mm -hmm. And the observer who is outside of the water says, can't you, can't you feel that? And most people say, well, no. And it's not advantageous for a lot of people to recognize the truth either. And as a Black woman, if I don't speak truth to power, it could mean my life. But to many, many, many of my white neighbors and friends, it's a, it, they don't have to give it a passing thought. Now, some people call that privilege. I personally take issue with the term privilege. I think it is a privilege to speak with you. I think being able to serve community and entrepreneurs the way you do is a privilege. I think 20 plus years of teaching and being able to serve children and their families, that's a privilege. Mm -hmm. Burying my head in the sand or not being aware or being um, educated in a bubble where I'm not um, permitted to learn those things that, that would be empowering to me and help me make uh, good decisions in my life, both public and private, I don't see that as a privilege at all. Mm -hmm. Gosh. I mean, I love that we're having this conversation because there's so much in it. And I think a lot of times people are worried about offending or they're just, they feel uncomfortable. So if we want to become more comfortable, how can we get comfortable being uncomfortable and start speaking up about racism regardless? Well, it begins with a couple of things. I offer some tools in my workshops, some physical things that we can do to get comfortable in our discomfort. And I challenge people to think about value systems. There are a couple of things that you can do. The first is this. Know that we are all in this together. The more I learned about who I was as a person, the easier it became for me to navigate conversations about race and racism. The more I learned about, because I didn't feel attacked, I felt I understood the context in which people are talking, that they're not actually talking to or at me in attack mode but they are speaking from a place of usually pain and frustration. And we all can identify that in some way. You know, I had a woman reply to me. She said, Dawn, you know, in your post, you said something about uh, white people haven't really done a good job listening over the course of 200 years. And I personally, while I don't feel offended by that, I don't really understand it because I'm new to this country. Yes, I'm identified as white, but I wasn't here 200 years ago, nor, or, or my ancestors weren't here 200 years ago. So what does this have to do with me? I said, okay, well, let's take an analogy and let's, let's deal with men and women. I said, if you were in a you know, quiet, remote place and a strange man happened upon you, um, you would be right to exercise prejudicial uh, behavior, right? You could just simply say, I'm a woman, I'm here by myself, I don't know this person. And so I'm going to exercise caution. And if he is evolved in his thinking, rather than attacking you, he could do one of two things. I'm not saying he should shrink himself or go out of his way to make you comfortable, but he can recognize that the reason why you're assuming a certain posture is because men have been predatory. Uh-huh. Not him personally, but there have been yeah. men who are predatory. 
And then if he wants to take his, his let's say, anti-misogynist or anti-patriarchal um, uh, ness back to his friend group, he can say, you know what, I've noticed that whatever is going on with men in predation, it is so rampant that a strange woman who doesn't know me from anywhere would feel guarded in my presence. What can we as men do to address that problem mm-hmm. and undo it? So, it you know, sometimes it is personal. Sometimes we are speaking directly to the person who has offended. It's like the Amy Cooper story, right? Someone has to have a conversation directly with the person who has committed such an egregious mm-hmm. offense. That happens. Someone has to have conversations with the people who are captains of industry and who commit the type of offenses that are having a negative impact on people's lives every single day. That also has to happen. But when you and I are talking um, in our living room about race, we have to know that that it is not about an attack. It is not about being defensive. It is about coming to a greater understanding of how we can undo the scourge. And I believe that we can. We just have to be willing to work together at it. I love the analogy you use there about a strange man appearing if you're a woman alone, because any woman can understand that feeling. Colleagues of mine who are white creators and business owners have reached out to me recently after seeing me post on social media and in my newsletter about Black Lives Matter, and they've told me that they want to speak up and show their solidarity and support of the Black Lives Movement too, but they are scared that they will say the wrong thing. They're scared that they will end up saying something that will end up causing harm and offending someone when their intentions are otherwise. And I've said that silence is violence. Speak up and show your love and support of the Black community. But this is something that people need training in. Do your workshops dig into these concerns that people are having? So I take a workshop sort of around Glennon Doyle's Untamed. And she has a chapter in there about racists. And one of the things that she says in there is, you white women, she's a white woman, she says, you white women are going to have to accept there's a high probability that you will say something that will be offensive. Uh-huh. You, you, you just have to accept it because, again, we're all sort of swimming in this water. You don't know it. You don't always know it. You just have to accept that as you're trying to undo racism or express your desire to be an anti-racist, you will probably trip and stumble and fall. But what baby hasn't? Mm-hmm. And when the baby trips and stumbles and falls, do we, we do not condemn the baby. We say, get up, baby, try it again. <laughs> and it, and if, you, if you let yourself be okay with that, like I have a lot of white parents who contact me and say, you know what, I have a biracial or a black child. I can't relate. Friend gave me a great analogy. He said, "Do you know how to play the tuba, <laughs> Chelsea? Do you know how to play the tuba?" I don't. I do you not don't. know how to play the tuba. And you know what? I've never and- even thought about it before. Usually doesn't backfire because it's the tuba. So you don't know how to play the tuba. So you have a child, and let's say your child. Do you have a daughter or a son? I have a son. Okay. Let's say your son says, "Mom, I want to learn how to play the tuba." What will you say to him? I'd say, go for it. Let's do it. Let's get lessons. And Okay, you would get him lessons, right? Because can you teach him how to play the tuba? I cannot. You cannot. 
and he is okay with that. And ostensibly you are okay with that because even though you are his mom, you do not have to be everything to him. That's why there are eight and a half or the number keeps changing billion other people on the planet (laughs) who have expertise in areas that you don't have. But when it comes to race, my friends or family or neighbors who are white parents always feel if that, that if they cannot give the lessons to their children, that they are in some way, shape, or form a failure. Mm-hmm. And that could not be further from the truth. You have to reach out to your community. Yes. It's true. You don't walk around in their skin mm-hmm. suit. Ask someone who does, who is willing, and say, I need the community to help me raise this child. Yes. That's brilliant. <laughs> And I mean, this all comes back to communication, communication being the most powerful tool. And that in your line of work is really what you're showing people how to begin when we're not used to having these forms of communication. And no matter what race you are, these are heavy topics and important topics Mm -hmm. that need to be discussed. So what are some things that you would like to see? Let's let's say business owners and community leaders, what would you like to see them to do to encourage diversity in the workplace and get those lines of communication open in the day-to-day? Okay, so it starts with your ability or your willingness to show up, right? To show up, to accept that you will probably get corrected, right? And then seek out people who can teach you so you can do better next time, right? That's the first thing. If you live in an area that is not very diverse, and I say this to employers all the time, you're not, you're probably not going to get a very diverse, in terms of racially diverse, you're probably not going to get a very racially diverse staff. However, you can reach out to consultants and other types of firms that are owned by other people who have expertise. You can do that. You can do that consciously, particularly in this climate. We're all remote anyway. Yeah. Um, it's a lot easier to do that right now. So call on people who, who, because they don't look like you, will likely have a different perspective. And the beauty of that is that when we pull those perspectives in, we are just always better as a people. It always winds up yes. better. <laughs> there are more, more voices in the room, more thoughts at the table. You know, I always think about this when it comes to injustice or racism in this country. Do you know, for all the energy that we spend trying to suppress other people's voices, do you know how much further or how much further along in terms of progress, technological and otherwise we could be if we didn't do that? Oh gosh, yes. (laughs) Right, the types of things, there's so much genius. Like I've taught black children, I've taught white children. There is so much genius in people, but when they feel like they can't express that, when they feel like, well, they won't listen to me anyway, so why should I speak? That genius gets stifled and it evolves and comes, and usually it turns into something pretty ugly, like a lack of worth. Yes. And that doesn't work out well for any of us. So that, that would be the thing. I would say, be prepared to show up, stay in the room, accept that you are going to be like a toddler and you're going to trip and fall. <laughs> and if the person yeah. you're talking to is not like the gentle, loving mother of a toddler, then you have to be that for yourself. That's great advice. Thank you. And then if you do live in a diverse community, I mean, we, we know the deal. Like re- reach reach out. You have the power to reach out. We've all heard of the That's MIT right. study with the names. You know, you, you have our big our, our biases and prejudices about black sounding names, Latino sounding names and all the rest of this stuff. Reach out to people and ask them to contribute. I work with a company called Acadium 
And it's uh, an online mentorship program where you can work with a, um, a marketing student uh, from anywhere, United States or anywhere in the world. And you can add virtual assistants to your team for three months and um, you know, you have the option to work with anyone based on their skills, um, their interest, what they want to learn more, how you can help them. And, you know, it is a diverse world out there. So if someone is listening and thinking, hey, like, maybe you don't live in a more diverse community, but you want to bring on virtual help and virtual um, creators, that's a great place to go and look and um, just meet people that you wouldn't maybe necessarily meet walking down the street. Um, Because, you know, the world is out there. And like you're saying, with everything being online now, especially in the pandemic, um, what a great opportunity to go and meet someone new and work with someone who, you know, you maybe wouldn't have otherwise. There is a ton more coming up on today's episode. But first, I want to quickly thank our sponsors for making this show possible. My go-to project management tool has to be HoneyBook. It handles my clients, my projects, my invoices. It also has contact forms and questionnaires, appointment scheduling, and task management, and keeps me on the ball so I never miss something important. And everyone listening can get a free trial of HoneyBook by going to herpaperroot.com HoneyBook. And if you decide to upgrade, you will get 50% off your first year, which is a savings of $280. Starting an online business, running an online business, creating a blog, content marketing, email marketing, affiliate marketing, social media marketing, all of these factors that come into being a business owner can be a little bit overwhelming to say the least. So I have created a collection of online courses where I share my own personal strategies and tips and resources that have helped me to grow my business into a six-figure company in just a few short years. You can enroll in any of our courses today by going to herpaperroot.com courses. A few moments ago, you had touched on privilege, and that's something I would really like to dig in deeper with you. There are some people out there who deny that white privilege exists, or they think that privilege only relates to how much money you have. You're only privileged if you have lots of money, and if you're a white person but you're broke, well, you can't be privileged. But I know that that is not the case, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. What people call white privilege is the ability to move through the world and not have to think about certain things. Great example is uh, the Procter & Gamble advertisement about the talk. They did this very sweet three-minute thing where they show Black families moving through, let's say, three generations. So um, my grandmother's generation, my mother's generation, and my, my generation. And they show them in these scenarios where they have to explain to their children things such as, Um, you are a beautiful girl. You're not pretty for a black girl. Mm. You are a pretty girl. Or they move through, you know, there's a young man getting in the car. He looks to be about 18 to 20 years old. And his mother has to talk to him about what to do if he gets pulled over Um, and and things like that. Mm -hmm. So so white people, regardless of their um, socioeconomic status, don't have to have those conversations necessarily with their children. They may say to their children, be kind and respectful to, to authority, but not 
because you could not return home. Yes. Um, Be kind and respectful to authority because they work hard. They are servants of your community. We ought to respect them. Your father was military. We have law enforcement in our family. You know, there are all these other reasons, but they don't usually move through the world thinking that um, by living, breathing, uh, reaching for their ID, that they could wind up dead. Okay. So that is a psychological burden that if you are if you have white skin, if you present aesthetically as a white person, you just don't have to bear it. The other thing is, you let's say um, a lot of people are confused about the, being bigoted and racist, and they say, "Well, black people can be racist too." And I say, "Okay, let's say that I don't like Chelsea because of the color of her skin," and I make it very well known on the internet that I don't like Chelsea because she is a white woman. Will that stop Chelsea? from going to the bank and getting the loan. Likely not, right? So that is bigotry. My expression is, my expression towards you is prejudice for sure. But I don't have the power to upset your life's apple cart, if you will. I might upset you. I might even be able to commit a hate crime against you personally in this body But the litmus test is always, what does my inclination or my perspective of you, how, what larger impact does it have on your entire uh, social group Mm -hmm. in this case, in terms of race? And usually the answer is not much. People then like to point out, well, you have black Supreme Supreme Court justices and you've got black presidents and you've got black CEOs and so on and so forth and judges, and they can certainly make uh, decisions that have larger impact. This is true. They can. Again, the litmus test is for the community writ large. And so that's what, you know, that psychological burden is what is causing a lot of people's frustration levels. They're they're boiled over and it turns to what other people see as senseless violence. To be clear, I am not saying it is senseless violence because I have a deep rooted understanding of the context in which that violence was produced. And I also know the history of my country, which is to point fingers out there and say those people over there are doing the terrible thing. But I know of so many stories when these people in here were also doing the terrible thing and they did not classify it or categorize it as senseless violence. That is the essence of white privilege. Yes. That is just so well said. And, you know, that was a big, like, something just to throw at you there, but I knew that you would just be able to like, just knock it out of the park. So thank you for that. Thank you. If someone has acknowledged their white privilege, how can they use that privilege to help others? There are so many ways. (laughs) I I, I tend to not want to give um, a stock answer. I I think that this work, this anti-racism work is needed in all spaces. There are some people who are brilliant storytellers. If that is you, incorporate this into your storytelling work. If the only people who hear your stories are your children at bedtime, there is where you can do the work. Mm -hmm. There are others who are um, actors who can paint beautiful pictures of reality with their work. Tell tell the story through the work. there are others who have enough well-being financially to contribute to black-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. Th- those are all online too. 
<laughs> right in, yep. in this climate right so it's no longer about oh I've got to get in my car and I've got to drive all the way to the place where you know it's a matter of inconvenience that doesn't really uh, fly anymore so since most of the injustice of which we speak and fight against is rooted in economics then the way to have the greatest impact is in economics you know people talk about the violence um, Chelsea and they say why are the people being violent and why are they tearing up their community? Mm. And I say, well, when you don't own and control resources, it is notice the people who are against all of that are the people who are saying, but that's my business. Uh-huh. Why would you, why would you hurt my business? And really it's in your community. Be, so you're only hurting yourself, but I don't own anything in this community. So, and you saw to it that I would not own anything in this community because you saw to it that I would not, um, there was bank, you know, oppression in the banking system. There was oppression in the housing system. There was oppression in the uh, social systems, in the school systems, going back at least four or more generations. Mm -hmm. So you made, you made it really clear that I would not be able to acquire generational wealth And then you are wondering why in a capitalist society, I feel so desperate that I would actually destroy things. Yes. It's, it's, it's not a difficult thread to connect. Um, So I would say produce economic justice, do things in your personal and professional life that produces economic justice. And when you pause and you say, yeah, but that's not at the top of my list of concerns. Just remember that for black folk, we don't have a choice. Some people say, well, what if you had cancer? Well, if I had cancer, I would be a black woman with cancer, which as everyone knows, would change, the, would change uh, disproportionately my concerns in terms of healthcare. Mm-hmm. If I were a person who, let's say I you know, lost a loved one, I'm a black person who lost a loved one. Do I have the, the, the economic foundation or the financial wherewithal to bury that person? So I've got an additional burden on top of the grief, mm-hmm. right? So, so all of those things take precedent in everyone's life. But when you are a black person who has been raised in this American context, just know that there is, there's a thing that we can't take off. That's the reason why blackface is so offensive to people, not just because it has an old history of, you know, being a racist trope. It's because you, if you Chelsea go to the party and you put on my skin. We're talking wearing blackface as a costume, which I would never do. I don't imagine you would, but there are people who just cannot find the rationale in the anger that that produces. Mm -hmm. It's because you can take it off. You can just, you can, you can take off the skin. I don't mean to suggest that I want to take off my skin because I certainly do not. But the fact that you can just jump in and jump out, you know, there's a saying that says, you know, I wish they, I wish that white folks loved black people as much as they love black culture. We would all be okay. Mm -hmm. So when you understand, I think back to the history, when you understand the history of what it has meant to live in this skin, then you are a little bit more empathetic, a little bit more caution yes and not wearing black skin as a costume please don't do that <laughs> don't ever, don't ever. yeah it's just insane that in this day and age some people still don't realize how offensive that is but yeah some people really just don't know yeah. that it is offensive 
And it's having these types of conversations that bring awareness to these things that seem so obvious to us. Maybe they're not obvious to everyone else. So by having these conversations, it brings these things to light. And hopefully more people will learn and understand and see why it would be a problem. And I love how you made a point there about the action steps. And this is something that isn't resolved overnight. This is something that requires long-term action. Well, let me let me say something about the action steps. I get that's my that's mm-hmm. my number one question. What can I do? What can I do? What can yes. I do? What can I do? And I'm happy to give suggestions. In fact, I, you don't even have to take suggestions from me. There are lists all over the internet now of all mm-hmm. of the different things that people can do. But I do caution people all the time. I say, why people be careful being quick to jump to a what can I do? Because sometimes what that reads as is if I'm doing something, I can congr- congratulate myself for having done the work past tense uh-huh. and I could get back to quote unquote normal because this has disrupted my life in some way. Like it's performative in a way. You've taken action today, but you're mm-hmm. not really, it's not working into the fabric of your actual life tomorrow. And I've got long-term white activists, allies, people like Jane Elliott for example, who would never say, well, Don, just tell me what to do. I mean, this woman started her brilliant work in 1968 when Martin Luther King was assassinated. And she is still, she is stronger now than ever um, as we tend to get in our older age with wisdom. She is stronger now than ever. She's a fierce, fierce ally and someone who you can trust to understand that she will do this work until she takes her last breath. And you don't have to be, you know, an anti-racist educator, but you do have to kind of understand that the people that you're talking to have been either living in the bodies that is experiencing injustice or doing the work of studying and trying to learn for decades. You are not going to fix it overnight. So just, there has to be, there's both and, but there's like this beautiful gray area that we all have to navigate and just be sensitive to that. I love that. I love how you said that. And yeah, being sensitive and listening and understanding that you're not just going to fix it. And I think people tend to see a problem and they want to just solve it. And that's, Mm -hmm. this is a way bigger issue than that. Mm -hmm. Also, the truth is sometimes in the doing, 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 we forget that we're supposed to be humans being, being, being. Some of your best and true, most true answers will come when you are still. That's awesome. We tend to forget that. We tend to go, 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 and we don't stop. Especially women. You know how we do. We just have to nurture and care for everyone else. And, you know, there have to be whole books and workshops and programs written up on how to take care of yourself. And this is just one more example of how we do that. It's, it's easier to just kind of keep moving. Yeah. If we're talking about learning and educating ourselves about this and taking time to really take it in before just trying to do, 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 fix, 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 in addition to reaching out to you at particularandpowerful.com, what are some other places that people can go to educate themselves about race, anti-racism, and just being able to, to do better as humans? The first thing I would do, I would advocate strongly for reading. My workshop audiences will be surprised to hear me say this because I never 
just give a book list to people. Because I say it depends. You and I have to have a conversation and I have to get a sense for where you, this is what happens when you're a teacher for 20 years. You differentiate everything because Mm -hmm. that's what we're taught to do. And there really is not a one size fits all to this. There are two uh, or three really powerful documentaries that have come out of late. So I, I think that people should watch more. One of them is the documentary that came out last year or so about the Central Park Five. Uh, and the and that's an Ava DuVernay thing. Another one is the documentary 13th, which came out a few years before that, also um, by Ava DuVernay. They're very informative. The, the, the documentary 13th and really the one about the Central Park Five also is based it, uh, on work like Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. I like that title because Michelle... Alexander herself has gone through something of a transformation where she thought, you know, these things aren't as big of a, of a deal um, as they used to be, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. And she had her own revelation. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. So I would say start there, but also, you know, I had an elementary school teacher ask me, well, what can I do? These, these topics are very sophisticated and they're dynamic and they're nuanced. And how do I how do I explain that to a five-year-old? And I said to her, do you remember the doll test? The doll test circa 1940, the doll test circa 19, uh, 2014, and we keep doing it. And it continues to have the same. I said, well, the babies, the babies can understand um, the doll test. Apparently they're very perceptive and they will tell you what is going on with them psychologically mm-hmm. by pointing to the doll. <laughs> so, so there's, you know, there are, there are those kinds of things that we can do. Um, I respect the creativity. Well, first of all, I respect creators. Yeah. You, people like you are creative enough to come up with content on the internet that appeals to tens and thousands and hundreds and thousands of visitors. You can utilize that same creativity to come up with your unique way to serve this cause. That's so true. Using your creativity and the platforms that you have to support Black-owned businesses and showcase others' work that you want to shine some light on and show your communities. Someone listening is an entrepreneur and they have a community. You, your voice doesn't have to be the only one that your community hears from. And by giving the microphone over to someone else to show their voice, their perspective, that can do so much. It may feel little, but it really is big. No, I think it's huge. I'm, I'm not, I'm afraid that I'm not, I, I'm not very political. Well, no, I am political. I take that back. I think teaching and learning is totally political, um, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, a big social media. I don't have a big social media presence. So when I'd heard about the blackout day, um, mm-hmm. so when I hear about stuff like that, I say, oh, I see, you know, it's a really powerful way to show solidarity. And then I heard about all the pushback from different content creators about how wrong that would be in the black square and all of that stuff. Yeah. So what I would say is that, um, when you make your decisions about, you know, they were saying, um, we want Black voices to be heard. I thought that was ir- ironic because wasn't it a Black woman who <laughs> suggested, uh, who made the suggestion to do the blackout on social media? 
I thought, here's the irony. People are saying, yeah, we want to listen to Black voices, but we're not going to do what that Black voice is just said to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I just seek out local, I think local organizations, anytime that you can build in your own in your own community. I think that just makes a world of difference. It goes, it go, it's more far reaching. I know people call it grassroots, but I think it's a lot more far reaching than we realize. Oh, you are just wonderful, Dawn. I really appreciate that you're Thank here you. chatting. Oh gosh. I could chat with you all day. <laughs> um, gosh, well, where can our listeners connect with you? And is there anything that you want people to know before we sign off? So my website is particularandpowerful.com. Particular and Powerful comes from an Audre Lorde quote that I love to share with people. Audre Lorde was an African-American queer woman, poet, author, brilliant thinker. And she once said that the love expressed between women is particular and powerful because we have had to love in order to live. Mm -hmm. So I take that and I incorporate it into my workshops and my classes and my trainings. And I ask people to always think, what particular thing can you do to produce a powerful outcome? Because there's a, there are, I think the magic sometimes is in is in the particular details mm -hmm. that we tend to overlook because we want to get to the big thing and have the greatest impact but if I had a dollar or a dime for every time one of my former students came and said you know that thing that you said actually changed my life and I have no idea what it is that I said but they remember it People will remember your particular brand of love and you will never know how powerful and far-reaching your influence actually is because you have paid attention to those details. Gosh, that's beautiful. Dawn, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you, Chelsea, for having me. Everyone, please go and connect with Dawn at particularandpowerful.com and support Black-owned businesses. And please consider supporting organizations online and in your communities that work to support Black people and fight racism. And consider what is one particular thing that you can do today to do something powerful. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to the Her Paper Root podcast. We hope you found this episode helpful. If you did, please say so by leaving us a review on iTunes. And be sure to share this episode with your friends. For more entrepreneurship resources and to connect with Chelsea, swing by herpaperroot.com. Now go make something. Make something.